0: Welcome back to Trashy Divorces. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Stacy. I'm Alicia. Thank you for joining us for another week of trash candy. Let's everybody relax
1: and just get trashy. I well, mean, or I don't know, run around and hit balls with sticks. I don't know. This week, our theme song, the ever talented mm-hmm. Taylor Swift, bringing us the man. We have two great stories this week.
0: We have two really cool stories this week of uh, women with unexpectedly interesting lives who pioneered different things, various things, a bunch of things. Mine pioneered all kinds of things. Yours are mostly bad. Mine are mostly good. But they were both trendsetters <laughs> in their
1: own ways. Sure. I'm covering the not-at-all-trashy first-time-awarded two halos for both parties, not trashy divorce of Billie jean king Tennis legend. Goddess of the world. hmm And you've got
0: I have um 19th century feminist first female presidential nominee of a political party Victoria Woodhull whose life was bonzo weird um she had two divorces which at the time is just hard to believe anyway it's a it's a story hell of a story it's a story hey let's talk about Patreon before we oh, gosh, jump into so these oh
1: gosh so this week we have a bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine link we dropped all kinds of stuff in honor of april in paris we put out our coco chanel side Mm -hmm. piece episode i dropped a little Catherine of valois Mm -hmm. and the original pony boy owen tudor sure
0: sure we Um, put out your side piece paula white paula white the spiritual counselor to the anyway <clears throat> we we just find all that amusing. Um, all
1: of that is free stuff sitting mm-hmm. out on that Bitly Trash Candy Quarantine link. Yep. Checking the show notes for it. For our regular patron subscribers, whoa. This week I did a Dirty Digs on... The temple of lesbians, you called the it. The temple of lesbians. The temple Lamite, uh, owned by Lamite. The temple of friendship, mm-hmm. owned by Natalie Barney. Juna Barnes, Colette. Oh, we did a thing on May Day yep. and Beltane. That was a lot of fun. We have some huge thanks to give out. Who do we have in our magic mirror this week? This week in our
0: magic mirror, we have. Uh, thank you so much to Amanda P, Christina L W, Catherine U, Anna, Martha T. Roxanne K, Aaron C, Paula B, Jamie J, Alex C. And we have a super supporter to thank Teresa A. Thank you New so much. New super supporter. Thank you to all of our
1: patrons. Huge shout out. Our Patreon supporters, y'all. We're an indie operation over here. Your support literally means everything to us. We have the best listeners. We do. Speaking of one of those Speaking best listeners. Speaking of, yeah,
0: we feel the need to definitely give a shout out to our patron Robin and her team at Grinshire on Etsy. They sent us very cool gift boxes. That her team, Michelle, Kelsey, Bean, Elias,
1: all working with Robin over at Grinshire, G-R-I-N-S-H-I-R-E and on, on Etsy.
0: Etsy. Yeah. Thank you guys so much that we seriously like those lit up our week. It's great.
1: We got some cute personalized boxes. Robin and her team have these cute customized little boxes. You, I ordered
0: uh, surprise moms. <laughs> you know, my mom does listen to the show sometimes. so <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> Maybe we keep that. Happy quiet. Mother's Day. Happy mom. Mother's Day, mom. <laughs> Thank you,
1: Robin and Grinshire team. Y'all are the very best. You made our week. I think that wraps it up. That's the intro. I, I think so. Thank you, everyone, for for being
0: here. I hope you enjoy what's coming next.
1: You ready to serve and volley some trash candy?
0: I think we need to go, go, go. Alicia, it is a beautiful day in May, and I understand that you have a story to tell me. I have a fantastic story with today. some. Trash candies and Associated in it. Yeah. I
1: have some spoilers are coming up. Let's do this. I I love this story.
0: Yeah. One of our friends keeps asking for it, so she'll be very happy. This is for the captain. Mm -hmm. This one's for you. Been on the captain's list for a long time. Tennille was not interested, but the captain is very into this story.
1: (laughs) I'm going to start with a little quote from one half of our couple today. Billie Jean King says you got to have fire in the belly to be great. That is what makes greatness. That's what makes a real champion. And I think that we're going to find that with both halves of our couple today.
0: That's why I only eat spicy food. Let me tell you about Billie Jean Moffat,
1: born November 22, 1943. Technically a Sagittarius, but also one of our amazing cusp babies. This time the Scorpio Sagittarius cusp which lands between November 18th and November 24th. Do you know what this cusp is called? The Cusp of Tennis? The Cusp of Revolution. Viva la Revolution! Wow. I love it. This is my favorite one. It okay. sounds very intense. No, Earth and Fire, right? It is intense. These people have the depth of soul that lives in a Scorpio, as well as just the passion, that slow-burning, simmering fire of the Sag. Oh, God. These people in this cusp, driven to deliver truth uh, in a whole well-researched package, they are quite frank. They can be sympathetic and sensitive too, but they get to the bottom of things. Usually, they'll use humor to get to that, but they will act boldly. The cusp of revolution. <laughs> Billie Jean King is definitely a Scorpio Sag cusper and will bring about a few revolutions in her life, both personally personally. And for the world of women's sports. And it all does involve, kind of, the background of her marriage to a dude named Larry King. Not that Larry King. Not that Larry King. The other Larry King. Okay, because
0: that Larry King has had like eight or nine marriages, so... But not this one. Not this one. Billie Jean Moffat's marriage to her
1: Larry King... Right. ...will last 22 years. Okay. But the trashy part... I mean, I can think of a few is actually going to come because of Billie Jean's first girlfriend Mm and society. Well, Mm the patriarchy. Because it all gets pretty trashy. So here are your spoilers. I have only halos for Billie Jean (laughs) and Larry in this one. (laughs) I have lots of trash cans for the patriarchy. Let's talk about it. Okay. Billie Jean is a California kid. She grows up in the definitive... 1950s family structure. Mom is a housewife who sells Avon on the side. Dad works two gigs. One is a firefighter to ensure that Billie Jean and her brother can do and have all the things. They're not wealthy, but they're getting by. They are honest and hardworking. And Billie Jean will say about her parents like they walked the talk. They were reliable, salt of the earth kind of folks. They paid their debts. They did what they said they were going to do. They lived by an example that you could look up to. Billie Jean's parents will also teach their kids to judge people by their hearts and not their skin color. Her dad actually played basketball, was a player back in his college days, and will play against Jackie Robinson in his college career. Wow. So dad is a believer in... In both brother and Billie Jean, and everybody plays sports all the time. It doesn't matter if it has a ball attached to it. Basketball, baseball, football, doesn't matter. Everybody plays. And Billie Jean gets just as active of a chance as her brother. She doesn't get more tries. She doesn't get less tries. Like dad plays with both kids really equally. Something I thought was really funny. Billie Jean King in one of her interviews says, I think with girls, it depends on If and how your dad is into sports, if you get into sports, because like Billie Jean King grows up just like wanting to hear about all of her dad's games and watch him play with his buddies. And anyway, Billie Jean loves basketball because of her dad. Like that is her sport. But in fifth grade, Billie Jean has this friend named Susan Williams. And Susan is from the other side of the tracks and her family belongs to a country club. And Susan's like, hey, Billie Jean. Do you want to come Uh, to the club and play tennis with me? And Billie Jean is like, "Uh, what's tennis? And Susan says, you can run, you can jump and hit a ball. And Billie Jean is like, those are my three very favorite things to do. So the date is set. And mom is going to make Billie Jean a pair of white shorts because you have to wear all white. And Billie Jean, excited, goes to her dad. Hey, dad, can you buy me a... A tennis racket, because I'm going to go play tennis with Susan Williams. And Dad's like, no, I won't. If you want to go do that, you'll go figure out a way to get your own racket. How bad do you want to go?
0: And this is how Billie Jean Moffat started robbing banks?
1: (laughs) She actually (laughs) instead gets gigs around her neighborhood. Really? (laughs) Racks up $9.20 to get on down to the sporting goods store to buy herself a racket which has lavender on it, which is her favorite color. And it's on. She goes and plays and she loves it. Tennis is amazing. She gets home to dinner and she's like, "Uh, I'm going to be the greatest tennis player in the world. Found my thing. I found my thing. This is my favorite thing ever. And friends, Billie Jean (laughs) is going to set her mind to do just that. Turns out, There are free lessons that happen at the public city park on a weekly basis. And Billie Jean is like, I know the city park. That's where we like. Yeah. Because she's devoted to this goal, but also even at that tender of an age, she's looking around and she's like, it's not just white shorts and white shoes. There's only white people here. Like, this is an elitist sport. Can you imagine as a middle schooler? Like. Having enough self-awareness and cognizance, especially in the 1950s, to be
0: like, where are the people of color? I really can't as a middle-class kid who grew up in the 80s and didn't have those, like, didn't, I just didn't see it. But there's
1: Billie Jean. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, like at 12, she decides she's going to spend the rest of her life dedicated to equal rights and opportunity. And if she can make it to number one, she could actually have the power to do something about it. Can you imagine being that singularly focused at the age of 12? Mm-mm. Like, and she is driven and she wants it. And her dad is like, Billy Jean, you are gonna have so many heartbreaks if you choose to do this. Like, do you do you really want this? And I want it no matter what. So dad's like, all right. I'm in for it, and Mom, who is not necessarily in for it, begins to kind of suck it up, like, this is the way it's going to be, and Billie Jean is working her way through the ranks. She's doing the thing. And, in fact, she will become the best player in the world, like, all the time, 39 grand fucking slams. Like, oh, I'd be the man. I mean, I,
0: I think we can both relate, though, because I know when we were about that age, and we set our sights on being podcasters, and oh. then we had years where we had to, like, wait for the... For a podcast to be invented? (laughs) What's a cell phone? Billie Jean is going to crash all
1: kinds of barriers around her. And always not necessarily by choice. So she's on a fast track to her goals. But Billie Jean is going to take a little detour for love. It's 1963. And her boy doubles partner is friends with this dude named Larry King. Boy from Dayton, Ohio, moves to California, and Double's partner thinks Larry and Billie Jean would really hit it off. Larry. Born January 30th. He's a dreamy Aquarius. And legit, Aquarius people out there, you are where everyone else will be in a generation or two. Like, Aquarius are just, they live in their own beautiful little world loop, and I love it. And Larry is great good looking if you like that type like larry's kind of a hottie and billy jean and larry meet and they get on like a house of fire there is an instant connection she thinks he's so good looking which he is and he thinks she has magnetic blue eyes and they are both smitten af and well it's 19 early 1960s and uh They really, really, really want to fuck. Sure. But you can't do that until until you're married. You get married. So the two of them will marry September 1965 in Long Beach. Groovy. Billie Jean says, I loved to listen to him. I was totally in love with him. And her focus, all the while being in love and now understanding like, yay, sex can be pretty fun, is totally into being the best in the world. And it's happening. And there's Larry, like, walking a few steps behind, getting called out in the press. Interviewers ask him, like, so, you know, Mr. King, even though, like, they call him Mrs. King because it's so bad. They're like, are you okay with this? And he's like, yes, this is fine. Yeah, I I support her on her dreams. I love my
0: spouse's success. Like,
1: why? Come on, patriarchy. Because, like, Billie Jean is beating Margaret Court on the court as an unseated player in her debut. Like, Billie Jean's a fucking phenom. And her goals and dreams are coming true. And there's Larry helping her every step of the way in the background. But Larry is also going to law school and society pressuring them. Uh, when are you going to settle down? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to quit the sports dream? I mean, model in this fancy dress, even though you are tired. Lee built let's dress you up and put you in lace like it is just there's so much wrong on so many levels with so much of this story but not with larry <laughs> so they're getting all the pressure like when are you gonna have kids when are you gonna quit this sports stream like fat chance that is gonna happen billy jean has been working for this since she was 10 years old yeah she gets mad she's like you know what you never ask the men tennis players how they manage their marriages. You ask all of us, but those guys are on the road 11 months out of the year, and they never get asked that. Just the women. So it's the era of civil rights and feminism, and they're the changing expectations for that impact every part of society. Just if you're getting more rights or new freedoms or... Whoa, you're mad about people getting their freedoms. Like, expectations are shifting everywhere. By 1968, Billie Jean is having some uh, tough internal struggles of her own. Having some changing expectations about what maybe is going on inside of her and Mm -hmm. thinking maybe, just maybe, she may be a little bit gay. Hmm. Which is legitimately a terrible place to be in. You are married to your best friend, top of the world as a tennis player, money hand, not exactly hand over fist, but you're doing the best you can do in the sport that you've got as it is right now. I'm
0: sure, yeah, I'm sure she was at the top of where women athletes would be money-wise. Like it's Something else will shift in 68, so hang tight. She doesn't know when
1: she gets married, and there is this whole new avalanche of internal struggle that she's going to go through. And uh, can you? Uh, it's heartbreaking. I'm married to my best friend. My parents are never going to be okay with this. This is my career and the thing I've worked so hard oh, for. and you can
0: lose sponsors. Like, I don't know if sponsorship was such a huge deal back then, but like, yeah, I mean.
1: So something else happens in 1968. Tell me. Women's tennis goes professional. Until then. Oh. It's been paltry like, amounts amateur. of money under the table. They call it shammer shammerism. The mm-hmm. John
0: McEnroe. Um, there you go. Yeah. We anyway. Okay. So I didn't realize that. So so she actually wasn't like raking in.
1: No, nowhere okay. close. She's the one. Like this is the magnificent thing that she is fighting for. She could have made a crap ton more cash had she not been fighting for the rights of everybody for all women in mm-hmm. sports. Not just herself. Right. Anyway. Okay, 68. Woo! Women's tennis goes professional. And it does. And Billie Jean's going to win her first Wimbledon. And the men's winner, Rod Laver, and Billie Jean do this dance. And she finds out that he made 2,000 pounds for his win. And she made 750 pounds for hers. And she's like, hey, what the fuck? But Larry, her husband, her best friend, has been saying to her, like... When women get to open tennis, the men are going to push you out. And Billie Jean's like, they're my friends. They wouldn't do that. We're pals. Yeah, they'll do that. They'll totally do that. They're totally going to do that. So this becomes a hotbed of controversy around the tennis set. Because you have half the camp, like, women only play three sets. They don't deserve as much money. We play five. And then you have women like... Seats cost the same amount of money, suckers. Yeah. Like, okay, so here's the deal. I ended up initially researching like 37,000 words for the story and ran into 19 more trashy tennis rabbit holes. So this week, so many trashy spiderwebs on Patreon, the USTA and all their dirty tricks, the all about the Virginia Slims tournament, and the forming of the Women's Tennis Association, and the l- legendary epic Battle of the Sexes with Bobby Riggs.
0: Do they still let cigarette companies sponsor no. sporting events? Okay.
1: <laughs> my no. God, that
0: sounds so like... Holy cats. I remember it, but also that sounds so just out of time now. Like, no, I have so much gosh. of all
1: of this stuff to do, but it's going to come on Patreon this week. But here's something that just cracked me up. I'm watching the... Battle of the Sexes this happens in 1973 and there is legitimately a armed uniform police officer cuz they're you know they've got security for the match kneeling on the sidelines just smoking a cigarette while they're <laughs> playing tennis
0: there's <laughs> like nothing i've ever seen it was crazy. Which is, I mean, that's the world we grew up in, but it's just like once it, oh, the whole once it goes away, you just forget. The, yeah, I that's... guess they
1: sold like patio tables so you could bring, like, I don't know if you could bring it. It was in the Astrodome. You couldn't bring in a cooler. But there are all kinds of, it. it is Whew. 1973 trashy glory and it's everything. All of that <laughs> is coming on Patreon. Because this is Trashy divorces, not. Mm-hmm. Trashy tennis backstory rabbit hole.
0: I can't wait to hear more though.
1: So I'm going to visit those stories and scandals this week because they're packed with like legit. No, I, I, I'm so excited to tell them, but I'm sticking to the subject matter here, <laughs> even though we just took a sixty second diversion. Okay, so 1968, women's pro tennis, and Billie Jean is like, ooh, I think I just might be gay. <laughs> and, very very quietly <laughs> Well but she's ashamed She's trying to deal with this internally sure. Like it is yeah. Coming out to yourself first Is mm-hmm. it's own struggle Long
0: before you get to talking to other people Yeah and with so much to lose You know as a public person it... Well In 1971
1: She's going to get to know This sassy hairdresser named Marilyn Barnett And the heart wants What the heart wants And Billie Jean is touring. She's the number one fucking player in the world and in love with a girl for the very first time. Marilyn will actually come with Billie Jean as her paid assistant on tour. So Billie Jean is married, traveling most months out of the year. Larry is doing his thing Because he's a lawyer, right? He's a lawyer. He's used to not being around anyway. He's doing endorsements and her branding, and he's riding the wave of being her manager and lawyering. And the two of them, in the meantime, start World Team Tennis. So there's a lot going on for the brand, maybe not for them as a couple. But Marilyn will get a $600 a week job. I'm sorry, $600 a month job. Going on tour with Billie Jean to be her secretary presser gig arranger.
0: It's like a road manager and probably stylist or whatever. Exactly. Okay. But they're lovers.
1: And it's an open secret in the women's tour, but quiet otherwise, because it's the
0: 70s and you aren't gay and like it doesn't oh, yeah. happen no i mean can you imagine what men's figure skating was like in the 70s like oh, bless his quiet just everyone be very quiet about <laughs> sorry but the affair is
1: hidden right and which as all of these societal changes are happening like title nine happens Roe versus Wade happens. We've got Margaret Court actually getting beat first by Bobby Riggs before Billie Jean says, I'll do it. It is this wave of the times they are a-changing. And Billie Jean is doing her thing to change the world, sometimes by her own decisions, sometimes not. So the first thing that's out of her control is in 1972 when Larry gives an interview to Ms. Magazine, just having launched and talks about Billie Jean having an abortion. Oh! Wow. Which is headline news. I bet. And Billie Jean is actually made to justify and talk about her choices on 60 Minutes in 1972. I am truly aghast at how badly she is treated by society in so much of this story. Her healthcare decision on 60 Minutes talking about
0: it. Yeah, it sounds like they probably set that up to try to... Spin Doctor... versus
1: weight, it was happening right around that time.
0: Yeah, but I mean, the reputational blow from his... Do you know if they talked about it beforehand? Was that planned in any way? Oh, no, she did not know that was
1: happening. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, that was a hot drop that surprised her. Eek. So then she had to go on 60 Minutes, basically, and... Well, this is 1972. She won't retire... By 1972, Billie Jean wants to retire. She's done. She's like, I'm living a lie. I need to go work myself out. She's self-admittedly in the middle of some kind of eating disorder, um, training like crazy. Title IX comes out. She's in love with Marilyn. She doesn't know what to do about this whole being gay thing, and she wants to quit. And when this comes out, and Title IX, and 72... She's like, I can't quit. I have to stay in. I have got to stay in this game. I've got something to prove to myself and prove to the world. And if I quit now, what does, you know, that say about me? So 1973, she will go on to squish Bobby Riggs in the Battle of the Sexes, making it happen for women everywhere. Again, she'll quit in 75 playing singles. She'll only solely focus on doubles until 1981 when she'll leave altogether because of the next thing that happens. So Billy Jean and Marilyn stay together for like nine years. So there's a bad breakup, hmm. and Billy Jean, right for the last whatever years, has said stay in the beach house as long as you want, and Marilyn intends to. Oh, until oh. Billy Jean is like, hey, um, now that we're broken up, I well, like my beach house. I actually need to sell that beach house, hmm. so you're gonna have to move because I need to put that property up for sale. So you need to leave.
0: Right. And Marilyn
1: says, I'm not leaving. Actually, that's an illegal eviction. Marilyn will proceed to find a lawyer Mm -hmm. who will use the very brand spanking new thing of the concept of palimony Mm -hmm. to sue Billie Jean for support. It is filed under the Marvin versus Marvin decision that had just kind of happened with the Supreme Court which allows payment for support in unmarried relationships but this has never been applied to
0: like a same-sex couple yeah like
1: that just it is unheard of
0: yeah i mean the legal system was not overly concerned about the interests of same-sex couples at this point in time so this palimony suit reveals
1: the whole Dirty business in public. This is 1981. Wow. And Billie Jean King has been publicly outed. She's the highlight of every 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. newsreel. This is brutal. And she's going to end up giving a presser with her husband and her parents. What man has ever. I was trying to find what was the societal equivalent of this. Jim McGreevy maybe gets there, but that doesn't happen for another
0: 25 years. Yeah, and that's still a wife who is expected to take a certain amount of humiliation, right? Like, So here's the thing. Billie
1: Jean says, I wanted to do it. It was important to me to tell the truth. The press conference? Yes. Her PR agent, her lawyer's like, for God's sakes, please don't do this. So I... Will put the ball in her court that this was a voluntary thing on her part, but what other? Come on, this is just un—it's unreal. So the presser happens, and you've never seen anything like it. There's honest and pastelly dressed humble Billie Jean. There's adoring Larry next to her with his eyes like on her, and there's Billie Jean's parents looking like, well, how you think parents would. Look, right. about in that situation. And Billie Jean thanks everybody for their love and loyalty and support. She says of Larry, I love him. He's my lover, my husband, my best friend, and he has been for 19 years. The reporters kind of question her, and she leans against his shoulder and says, we're closer now in some ways than we ever have been. Our marriage is stronger Billie Jean also in this says, privacy has always been important. It is unfortunate that someone in my life invaded that privacy. I'm disappointed and shocked that Marilyn has done this self-destructive thing to herself and to other people who care for her.
0: Billy Jean King publicly outed. Yeah, she, that's, that's so rough. Like, I can also understand if you're Marilyn... You know, maybe you think you are due the house. I don't know.
1: Hold on. Let me let me talk about Billie Jean's thing first, because she says, if I had any inkling at all ever that I was gay, I never would have done that to Larry. Because living through that was hell. I was not ready to be outed. It was not the right thing to do. When I was ready, I would have come out. But imagine yourself in my shoes. I'm worried about my mom and dad. They're there and they are so homophobic. And how do I talk to my parents and say, thank you for standing by me when I haven't been able to talk to them my whole life because I haven't because I thought that they would reject me. Billie Jean King says, my dad was better than my mom. She's fantastic now. I mean, this is multiple years, you know, that have gone by. But dad was better than mom, but she's great now. It takes a long time and it's going to take Billie Jean years of therapy. That she won't really get into until her early 50s to deal with all of this trauma. But good results at the end of the story for (laughs) Billie Jean and Larry. Not so much Marilyn. Okay. Marilyn has, Marilyn is going to attempt suicide. Mm. She's going to pull a Kanga in 1981 and jump out of a window. Oh, no. Leaving her paralyzed from the waist down. Oh,
0: no. Mm -hmm.
1: She passes away, I think, in 1995, actually. But paralyzed, she loses the lawsuit. 1981 will be the first year that Billie Jean is not in Wimbledon. She's retired. She's going to go lick some wounds, I guess. And she and Larry are doing world team tennis and running the brand, which now, after the public outing, is losing money hand over fist.
0: Right. That's, yeah, it's a different. She says the only
1: people who won in that were the lawyers. The only people who got anything out of that at all were the lawyers who were involved in all the
0: suits with all the endorsement she loses. Right. And right. I feel like law school is largely just about positioning yourself to, um to sweep up all of the money that falls out when the bottom falls out. <laughs> You're
1: not kidding. Like her financial future is fucked for a long time, which is truly shitty because coming up, she's made less money all along in order to help the collective. Right. And her public outing by her ex, ex lover. Yeah. Like, leaves her scrounging for a long time to try to figure out how to recover from the financial setback. I mean, like, to Billie Jean, being fair and everyone getting in was more important to her than making cash. And then she gets sold the hell out by her ex-lover. Like, ah, oh, it's heartbreaking. It's yeah. the principle of the thing. Yep. Okay, so kind of cool here. Also, during this time, as she's looking her wounds, she's also doing camps for kids via World Tennis, Right. And a very young Venus Williams is going to, she's seven years old, is going to meet Billie Jean. And lots of love from Billie Jean helping all kinds of kids, kids of color, all kinds of girls. Doesn't matter. Tennis is not an elitist sport. Boys and girls are equal. Doesn't matter your color. Everybody can be here to play and run and jump and hit balls and have fun. I just, I I love this so hard. So Billie Jean actually is the one who gets uh, Venus and Serena's dad, Mr. Williams, to see, in fact, women can make money from a sport like tennis. Like Billie Jean's success was spectacular. She was the first woman to earn over $100,000 from sports in a year. She is the main reason why men and women, when they do, get equal payouts in sports. It's still way not fair. Let's talk to soccer. I was going to (laughs) say. Smash the whole patriarchy. All Mm -hmm. of it. Okay. So what happens with Billie Jean and Larry? After 22 years of what I will call a very successful partnership and solid friendship, we'll divorce in 1987. Maybe it's not your idea. Maybe it doesn't fulfill romantic love on the daily That partnership between the two of them gives both of them an advocate. And Larry says, Billie Jean, her being gay didn't make me love her any less. And Billie Jean is just adoring. Like, he's my best friend. He's Mm -hmm. my favorite person. And this to me, sorry, not going (laughs) to cry. This is love. When the people who you love you, that you love, and you just want the best for, it doesn't become about pride. Or any of the seven deadly sins, it becomes about the happiness of your loved one. Like, this is such a happy ending, because the thing that leads to the divorce is that Billie Jean has fallen in love again with fellow badass tennis player and her longtime doubles partner, Alana Kloss. Okay. Alana says about Billie Jean... She was kind to everyone. You didn't have to be famous or accomplished. She was interested in everyone's story. It was the twinkle in her eye. Billie Jean says about Alana, she's funny and loyal and responsible in every way. Also, Alana is an Aries. The Aries-Sag match, I cannot (laughs) tell you, doesn't get any better. Alana and Billie Jean have been together now for going on forty plus years. That's really which is funny, kind of amazing. Yeah, my
0: parents were Sage.
1: They're Aretha Sag is a fantastic match. Elton John, who has been a very good friend of Billie Jean since the uh, Philadelphia Freedom World Team mm-hmm. Tennis days, mm-hmm. says that Alana and Billie Jean are a tough twosome. They work brilliantly together. Sir Elton is a real Billie Jean King fan. And he has this beautiful thing where because God, poor, like what a struggle, Billy Jean, both personally and professionally. And if I were the man, right, he says about her being outed, that the freedom of being outed, as harmful, as painful as it was, did her a favor in the end. And she was even able to turn that into something positive. Larry gonna find happiness he gets married to his wife nancy they have two kids and billy jean and alana are godparents of both of larry's kiddos like it doesn't get much better than that nope oh also larry is a top-notch bridge player he is a master (laughs) duplicate bridge player and director and founder of the bridge university so maybe it does get
0: better than that but talk about fucking happy ending is the bridge university a four-year school
1: (laughs) (laughs) like i feel so much love for this whole story billy jean's determination larry's steadfast love Mm -hmm. to his friend and the relationship that they both still honor to this day like all the halos i think it's the first time ever that both trashy divorces parties get halos
0: do you know if he Like, did they retain their business relationship after the divorce? To a certain extent, they both had, like, everybody's cool. Yeah, no, everybody's cool. Oh, and Billie
1: Jean King has these lavender cat-eye glasses that are fucking badass. (laughs) So, halos to Billie Jean, halos to Larry. The trash cans in this story go to the patriarchy. I am giving a whole Astrodome full of trash cans. Which is where the battle of sexes in the 1973 match with misogynist jerk face Bobby Riggs was played. Astrodome full of trash cans for the patriarchy. Halos to Billie Jean. Okay. Halos to Larry. Trash cans to the patriarchy.
0: And the the palimony thing will come up again in uh, Martina Navratilova. Future tense, correct. We're going to talk about it this week on Patreon. Cool. Okay. Because that's Cause I was a like, hell
1: of a story.
0: I remember. Mm-hmm. I don't remember Billie Jean King's stuff happening because I was pretty young, but I do remember Martina Navratilova being in court when I was a kid. And... Billie Jean's the trendsetter. Everyone forgets about her, <laughs> mm-hmm. but mm-hmm.
1: Cuspa Revolution. Oh, she was breaking so much ground and does win the Presidential Medal of Freedom in two thousand nine. She's kind of amazing. Her story gets a little glossed over. It gets a little misty-eyed. But there's some serious grit and some serious determination and some serious badassery on a lot of people's parts. And I'm excited to talk about it in the future this week. But for now, let's take a break because we got to whoosh, whoosh, go back in time 100 years for
0: your trash. We do. We do. All right. We'll be back. See you on the flip. So,
1: Stacy, first time ever, two Halos, both parties. I have a feeling not everybody's going to end up with Halos at the end of your story. No one. Great. No one gets a Halo. Dish it. I'm no ready for one. the trash candy.
0: You know, I think we live with this idea that, like, people in olden times were very prim and proper. No. Days of yore? No. That is not true. It's not
1: at all true. Yeah, the days of yore were not as clean living as you think they were
0: (laughs) you're right okay so today i am super excited to take you on a journey with a true american original whose three marriages and unorthodox life make her an endlessly compelling and surprising figure three marriages oh yeah oh yeah and and it was two divorces too it wasn't like because a lot of a lot of people in olden times had multiple marriages, but because their spouse died of... You're widows. You don't get divorced? Given birth. She did. Oh, talk to me. I'm talking about spiritualist, suffragette, Me Too front runner, whistleblower, stockbroker to the stars, a communist sympathizer, an advocate for eugenics, a political prisoner, a con artist, a revolutionary, and the first woman to ever declare herself a candidate for president of these United States... Victoria Woodhull. It's a hell of a resume. Quite a resume. Quite a person. Quite kind of a confusing story. Honestly, like I feel like this was she was sort of complicated. Words I heard in there. Yeah, I feel like she was kind of a con artist who was just wildly successful at it. Like she was so good at it, she just looped around to respectability. Are you saying that grifters existed in ye olden days? And they've been grifting. For so long. Hey, Victoria Claflin Woodhull was born September 23rd, 1838. She's a Libra. She was a Libra, I guess it's fair to say, since she's been... 1838, mm-hmm. yeah. She's no longer with us. You'll be surprised to learn. She was born into uh, kind of the unfortunate line of the relatively prominent Claflin family. Claflin cousins fought in the Revolution. They settled the frontier. The uh, first person to settle Door County, Wisconsin, was really? a Claflin. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them sat in at least one governor's mansion as governor, <laughs> not just like sitting in the lobby. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I don't know quite where the family tree branched exactly, but Victoria was the seventh of ten children born to an illiterate German mother who was a follower of Franz Mesmer's spiritualist movement and a con man father who sometimes passed himself off as a lawyer, but mostly made his living through patent medicines yes indeed he was a a snake snake oil oil salesman salesman. Mm -hmm. (gasps) holy snakes yeah so papa claflin uh he had a cancer treatment that was uh, a mixture of alcohol and opium um Uh, uh -uh. and a can't fail contraceptive involving a vinegar soaked sponge yeah i bet that can't (laughs) fail oh no so, Victoria's childhood in tiny Homer, Ohio, in Licking County, can't make it up. That's was, not true. It, it's true. It was pretty brutal. The parents beat the kids. They would withhold food oh, when they no. misbehaved. I think they were also deeply poor. And so some of the food withholding may have actually just been that they did not Scarcity. have mm-hmm. Yeah, food. Historians debate whether Victoria's father sexually abused her. Oh, no. There were 10 claflin children of these only six made it to adulthood and one upon turning 13 ran away and was never heard from again (laughs) so okay in the 1800s six out of ten not a bad ratio yeah also i think that one may even count uh as so maybe seven they just never heard from him again because he. that's how bad it was yeah it was bad However, between mom's spiritualism and dad's con artistry, the kids learned some things about this crazy old world of ours. So as a child, the not-at-all-skeezy parents put Victoria and later her youngest sister, Tennessee Claflin, no. to work as mediums contacting the dead for money. Oh, my. Not like contacting them for, but, you know, people would Do pay they them to. they actually have aptitude
1: or it's all a scam? Why can't it be both? Mm-hmm.
0: It's tough. Um, it is very likely to me that Victoria, at the age of like 13 or whatever, may have believed some of what was tricky.
1: Complicated.
0: Complicated. Complicated. The girls, again, like 13 and 7 or something, were the family's breadwinners. Playing psychic mediums? Mm-hmm. Having seances. Wow. Yep. Yep. They were, and they weren't the only ones in, like, they were, Papa was inspired by some other, like, earlier set of child mystics or whatever they were passing themselves off as. Anyway.
1: Talk about singing for your supper. Yeah.
0: So the Claflins dabbled in faith healing and fake medicines, and the two daughters ended up sticking to this shtick well into adulthood. For instance, um, her sister, Tennessee Tenny. Um, as an adult, was indicted at one point for manslaughter in Illinois. What after a cancer patient that she was fake treating real died? So, <gasps> ye olden times mm-hmm. are ye
1: fucking scandalous? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Although uh, ha- I'm happy to learn that even in the 19th century, like state prosecutors were indicting charlatans for fake treating people who were real sick, like. All right, so when Victoria was 11... A little time-hopping here, but there's so much color to the story. I just... Okay. So when Victoria was 11, she had three years of schooling under her belt, so she was good to go. She and the family were forced to skip town, little Homer in Licking County, after um her... <laughs> this is such a great story. Papa Claflin took out an insurance policy on a rotting gristmill that he owned, and then he torched it. So... Burns it to the ground and like, I don't know, the next day, the next week, I'm not sure what the time frame is here, but like heads over to the insurance, the insurance company office. office and like, hey guys, my gristmill, that one I insured the other week, that thing burned, to- isn't it crazy? That thing burned to the ground. I need my money. And um, I gathered the town, it had, had quite enough of his crap. And so like all of the men in town got together and uh, chased him out really yeah um like quickly enough that the family couldn't join him the town actually had, took up a collection to pay for the you know the mom and 10 kids <gasps> to go join him you are joking i'm not how bad does that town want <laughs> that <laughs> right? grifter out of there get those Claflins out of here okay this story has everything oh we're not even close to everything yet okay a few years later When she was about 14, Victoria was suffering some kind of illness, and the family took her to see 28-year-old Dr. Canning Woodhull for treatment. This was back in the time when if you were literate enough to write the letters M and D on a sign, you got to be a doctor. No. Yeah. There was no medical training required, no licensing in Ohio at the time.
1: Fantastic.
0: Yep. Sure enough, Dr. Woodhull seems to have had some ulterior motives... And shortly after meeting her, he abducted Victoria, stole her away to Cleveland, and married her like two months after she turned 15. Kidnapped? Basically. A 14-year-old and married her? Yeah. In Cleveland. (laughs) Okay. It It was a different time. I think that it is reasonable to suspect that Victoria wanted to get away from her family, From her, like, poor, abusive family. The union of the newly minted Mrs. Victoria Woodhull and her not-even-a-real-doctor-doctor-husband was, and I know this will surprise you, not a happy one. Canning liked his drink, and he liked... What,
1: because she was a kidnap
0: victim? (laughs) also she was a kidnapped victim canning liked his drink and he liked his women and he wasn't gonna let a little thing like being married to a teenager get in the way of his doing as he liked oh
1: my god
0: unfortunately he didn't just like his drink he was debilitated by his alcoholism and victoria was often forced to work while also carrying two children separately (laughs) so um well it's like she didn't have twins She had two children with him, but they were several years apart. It was not one very long pregnancy. Okay.
1: So a few things. Mm -hmm. I definitely want my not licensed medical doctor Mm -hmm. to be blackout drunk every day. Yes. Fantastic. That wasn't two things. That was just one thing. That was the one thing. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Hopefully he was not performing surgery or anything. There, uh, There were two kids, so Byron and Zulu. Uh, who would then be known as Zula as an adult, and then I found a New York Times article from right before Woodhull's death, where she's her daughter Virginia is sitting with it like it's it anyway. Lot of flexibility. These people were they they dreamed the dreams, it became whoever they wanted, so. Byron was born with an intellectual disability, which um, it is thought had some impact on Victoria's later writings about eugenics, which she was for. So complicated. Maybe that's not the message you get from your (coughs)
1: challenged child is eugenics.
0: Really? You did not even tell me there was this much wrong with this story. So much wrong. So much wrong. I will say the progressive movement at this time, like they were pretty pro-eugenics. It was thought that with just a wee bit of tinkering, we could breed certain things in or out of the human race and make everything better for everyone. Like, yeah, whatever. Okay, hey, baby, come check out my Punnett square. <laughs> exactly. All right. So obviously around this time, the Civil War breaks out and Victoria, who had been supporting the family and her husband Canning's vices as a cigar girl... And apparently a topless waitress. What up, Cleveland, in 1850, 1860? Hold
1: up. Yeah. Topless waitress cigar girl supporting her not medically licensed MD alcoholic husband with two kids? Uh Oh, I'd be mad. (laughs) It's okay to be mad, Victoria. It's okay to be mad. Well, let's go back to Like the eugenics thing is bad, but it's okay to be mad.
0: Oh, yeah. No, let's go back to... That she divorced twice in an era where women didn't divorce, right? This is why she has All right, divorce number one.
1: suffragette, talk to me.
0: All right, so the Civil War breaks out. And with war raging, she and her sister, Tenny, Tennessee, uh, reunite as traveling clairvoyants. And they <laughs> made so much money... And, you know, we would say that they were preying on devastated families who had lost someone in the war, but also maybe they were giving closure to people who otherwise would get none. I I don't know. I We would judge them very harshly today. Wait, you might not, actually. I would. <laughs> well, clairvoyancy, if you have the gift, is a
1: little easier than topless stripping and cigar selling.
0: Yeah, no, if you can play the role. I mean, a seance... In a devastated family is probably easy marks. All kinds of easy marks. Okay. In any case, by the end of the war, she was well and truly done with slacker Dr. Canning Woodhull, and by 1865, she was divorced from him. Good for her. She kept his name. Okay. This is... It gets so much better. The next year... (laughs) The next year, she became the second wife of Colonel James Harvey Blood. Who had fought for the Union in the Colonel war. Colonel Blood? Colonel Blood. Oh, God. And that's how he's referred to in all of the contemporaneous reporting. No. Colonel Blood. Oh. Nobody called him Jim. Hey, Colonel Blood. Okay. He'd fought for the Union in the war, and he had become a radical anarchist. Oh, goody. Oh, God. <laughs> um, And, you know, Victoria had plenty of her own unorthodox views, and so they were a pretty good couple, it turns out. It's also worth noting that historians question whether she and Colonel Blood ever actually married, or maybe they married and then they divorced but continued living together as a married couple to throw it in the face of marriage, the institution of female slavery or whatever. Um, Ye olden times. Yeah. Complicated. (laughs) Complicated. All right, so Victoria Woodhull, nearing 30. She's a mother of two, a survivor of a difficult childhood, and perhaps an even more difficult first marriage. She has just embarked on her second and far more happy... Maybe marriage. In 1868, she and Colonel Blood move to New York City, which I'm told is the greatest city in the world. She sets up a household... Oh my god, this is so... This is so weird. She sets up a household, obviously with Colonel Blood. Um... (coughs) Her sister Tenny comes with oh uh, sure some of her more down on their luck relatives from Ohio which I think includes her parents and this may surprise you Dr Canning Woodhull also moves what? in with them cuz he can't he's too broken from drink to take care of himself like he can't support himself anymore but he's the father of her children so anyway so she comes with her wagon full of eight people <laughs> Comes from a big family, stayed with a big family. (laughs) Spiritualism was a big deal in this era. Uh, In New York, in New York state, more than 50,000 soldiers had died fighting to preserve the union. So it seemed that every family had, you know, they had lost someone. Meanwhile, the telegraph had been invented. And so I think the, the, the line of reasoning that I read was basically like, well, If messages can be sent down these inert wires, these metal wires, why can't messages be sent from the spirits of our loved ones to, you know, a a medium's fertile mind? That kind of thing. That's a
1: fantastic question. We will explore this on Patreon. Will
0: we? (laughs) In New York, Victoria and Tenny moved in the sorts of circles that I think... In, like, a European capital, it might make sense, like, courtesans, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, basically, though, they were friends to sex workers and, like, lady doctors who performed abortions, and also, though, they were, they were sort of well-known spiritualists in a time when that was a big deal, and so they they sort of worked their way into the circle of, like, social reformers and... <laughs> Awesome. End up meeting people like, oh, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Fantastic. um, And her sister Isabella. Suffragists like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony became their friends. So like pretty quickly, like by 1870 or so, they are moving in a very prominent orbit. And uh, Victoria, with her three years of formal schooling, she felt right at home. This is this was where she had always wanted to get to great and here she was so she starts delivering lectures like a lot of her peers are and so she became closely associated with the free love movement it's a little different in the uh, 1860s than in the 1960s but basically she was arguing that women should have ownership of their own sexuality And after having experienced the pain of an adulterous husband, she argued that only when women had an inalienable right to give or withhold consent for sex could the spouses in a marriage be equal. She argued for the right of women to love who they may for as long or as short a period as they may and to change who they love every day if they please. She was also an advocate for monogamy, but the free love thing kind of... You got to be open-minded. She wanted the state out of any business of judging what relationships should be. But it's really tied with feminism, like the free love movement, feminism, progressivism, all of this is For s- sure. swirling together. History doesn't
1: repeat, but it sure, sure does, rhyme. does rhyme.
0: Okay, so as their, as their like social circle expanded, as spiritualists and as public intellectuals, they became acquainted with mega-rich guy Cornelius Vanderbilt. He was a client in Victoria's like, medium-slash-seance business. And when he met Tenny, he fell really hard. And they were rumored to be lovers. Like, the family worked really hard to keep, like, old Papa Corny away from Tenny <laughs> Claflin.
1: <laughs> Nothing surprises me in this story no, anymore.
0: No, no. You really just... Yeah. Okay. So Corny helps the sisters open Woodhull, Claflin, and company... The first stock brokerage run by women in United States history. No. And they made a mint. Like, they managed his money, uh, but they made millions and millions of dollars. Lots of raised eyebrows, but whatever. And so now they've got, like, a ton of money coming in.
1: What year is this happening?
0: 1870. Holy cow. Yeah. And, you know, and they now are like, hey, we are prominent public intellectuals. So they start a newspaper they want to of be of course they do they want to be in this national conversation about social reform and what the world should look like and it's the post war era and so they take proceeds from the brokerage and they start Woodhull and Claflin's Weekly which was one of the first publications to be published by women in the United States i am not kidding this opened up in May of 1870 ran to June 1876 and the sisters would use its pages to promote, you know, suffrage and socialism and vegetarianism and eugenics and the legalization of prostitution and, of course, free love. Complicated. It would also get them into seriously hot water in 1872. Victoria Woodhull was the first woman to testify before a congressional committee in United States history. Uh-uh. She's Forrest Gump, dude. She's... <laughs> she goes before House Judiciary in 1871, I think, to alert them to the fact that the newly passed 14th and 15th Amendments guarantee women's rights to vote. And if they say otherwise, they're wrong. Like, she told them, women are the equals of men before the law and are equal in all their rights. It was a rousing and historic moment, but of course the 19th Amendment was decades away. I think some... Western states actually did kind of buy into this line of thinking and and extended the franchise way. Oh, earlier. for sure, it was extended
1: mm-hmm. long before it was waiting for. Yeah,
0: not in the South, but like yeah. I know, I was in Colorado a couple years ago and we went to see the Molly Brown House and Oh yeah, unsinkable, yeah, that girl. Yeah, 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 they were voting decades before we could down here. Anyway, so this, you know, this move this pushed her really to the leadership of the suffrage movement. And this in turn propelled her candidacy for president in 1872. So at this time in American history, political parties would pop up usually like around one issue, which is actually how the Republican Party formed. It was an anti-slavery party and it just stuck. History's funny. Um, Yeah, it doesn't repeat, but sometimes it also doesn't rhyme. Okay, so it was that on May 10th, 1872, the brand new Equal Rights Party nominated Victoria Woodhull as its candidate for president. The party also nominated Frederick Douglass, a noted social reformer and thinker who had escaped slavery as a young man for the vice presidency, but they didn't actually talk to him about this ahead of time, and Douglass oh, was no. all in for incumbent Ulysses S. Grant. He just, like, ignored this whole Victoria Woodhull thing, and although he was really active in the feminist movement as well, from what I understand, like, yeah, yeah, lots of lots, civil rights were happening. I mean, not really... But it turns out civil rights have always
1: been happening. Are we paying attention or not?
0: Yeah. Woodhull's candidacy, as you would expect, was not taken seriously in the press. It also turns out that she was like a few months too young to actually have assumed the presidency if she had somehow managed to win even a single electoral vote, which she did not. Uh, there are also no records of popular vote totals for her. It is thought that like, there, I'm sure people wrote her name in here and there, but it's thought that elections, if it, like, the poll workers were just, like, throwing them away. Um, it was a different time. It would
1: have had to have looked ludicrous in 1872 to vote for a woman.
0: There was a guy That's in... 50 years ahead of its time. According to Wikipedia, there was a guy in Texas who admitted he had because he hated Grant so much. Well, so good on you, buddy. Sure. Okay. So, yeah, so this makes Victoria Woodhull the first woman to be nominated by a political party for the office of president. Fun fact, though. Victoria and Tenney were not able to go to a polling place on election day to kick up dust about not being able to vote. Nope. That's because they were in jail. (laughs) So, in her rise as a prominent suffragist, women's rights crusader and public intellectual, Victoria had become friends, as noted, with members of the Beecher family who were extremely prominent. Harriet Beecher Stowe is the one we know today. But at the time, her brother, Henry Ward Beecher, Reverend Henry Ward Beecher, was probably the most famous figure in the country who was not a politician or a general. This guy was like America's first megachurch pastor. And noted trash bag. And noted trash bag. And through her social circles, Victoria came to be aware that the married... Reverend Henry Beecher was having an affair with the wife of one of her acquaintances. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So apparently Henry had really gone after Victoria and the free love movement and, you know, just general moralizing, like you would expect from his Plymouth congregational church in Brooklyn. And that building is still there by the way. And, you know, Victoria now has her own newspaper Hmm. and she has dirt on a very prominent man. I wonder what I shall do. In the November 2nd, 1872 issue of Woodhull and Claflin's Weekly, Victoria wrote an article exposing the affair and criticizing Henry for publicly denouncing the free love movement while privately practicing free love himself. This edition of the paper sold more than 100,000 copies. Demand was so high that secondhand copies of the paper went for as much as $40 in 1872. This was, this launched a Bonzo scandal that we covered on Patreon, and that is there's going to be a link in your show notes if you want to go listen to that story. It is so That's a good story, unexpected. That's, yes. this is more Bonzo than I even knew. Yeah, all right. So Henry Beecher gets his revenge though. So the the day that the paper ships out to subscribers across the U.S. through the postal service federal marshals come knocking on the door and they arrest Victoria Tenney and Colonel blood on charges (laughs) that they were sending obscenity through the postal service.
1: Oh God.
0: And I'm not sure how long Colonel blood was in jail, but according, there was a big piece in the 1954 in, in a 1954 edition of the New Yorker that, uh, like covering the Henry Ward Beecher trial. It's such a crazy story. Um, It says that the sisters were held for six months before the charges against them were dismissed. I found a Guardian piece from 2016 that said that they made bail after about a month and they were acquitted the following June, which would be that six-month time frame. Anyway, there was some First Amendment stuff. Like, the courts found for them saying that obscenity laws don't apply to newspapers, which is a good thing. Uh, And then the Comstock Act came into like was passed the following year that tightened up the obscenity in the mail laws. Anyway, Victoria Woodhull. All right. The
1: trashy history.
0: The Beecher scandal. And again, check your show notes for the link was probably the high watermark for Victoria Woodhull as like a notable person, but her notoriety was so much that like her friends in the suffrage movement kind of started to peel away and, Pretend they didn't know her, and like she was just kind of too hot to handle, making too much scandal, and so. In later writings by some of them, she was omitted entirely. Like, oh wow! Yeah, her spot in history diminished. I, I don't know. You you go at the king, you best not miss. Is that the is that the term? That's the yeah, that's the saying. So in the aftermath of all of this, her maybe marriage to of blood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also degraded and by eighteen seventy six they i mean they were they either divorced or having divorced Separated. earlier were no longer a couple or okay. maybe if they never actually married in the first place, they had just broken up I don't know, but anyway, that ended the following year uh eighteen seventy seven tenny's patron slash sugar daddy Cornelius Vanderbilt dies, and his son william henry Vanderbilt Wanted to avoid any scandalous stories about Papa coming out in the aftermath of his death. And he certainly did not want these women coming at Papa's fortune, which in um, modern dollars is like a $185 billion estate.
1: Wow.
0: So, William Henry, uh, Billy Henry, he gives them a thousand bucks to leave the country for good. Billy Hank. Billy Hank. Uh, yeah, it's like twenty four thousand dollars in today's money. Like, hey, just, just get out, get on a boat, mm-hmm. just go away, just please leave. And I feel, I think they probably felt like they had done. How many more firsts were left for a woman in the United States? Like, she'd pretty much done it all. So, who's we? Victoria and Tenney. Mm-hmm. Yep, they. Oh, fantastic! They hop a steamer great britain in august and by december victoria is lecturing at saint james's hall in london oh my god and it's here that she meets husband number three john biddulph martin whom she married in 1883 much to his family's unhappiness oh yeah really yeah they were not (laughs) fans in 1885 Tenny found a love of her own marrying francis cook viscount of montserrat and later a baronet the, really? The Cook Baronet. So she became Lady Cook, Viscountess of Montserrat. Tenny. Tenny Duncan. Oh, Dunga. Tenny. Frances passes away in 1901, and Tenny lived the rest of her life quietly in England, close to her sister, dying in 1923, still a proponent of free love and vegetarianism and socialism, apparently. And seances. And seances. Victoria would live long enough to reverse herself on many of her earlier radical politics. Oh. Um, so her husband, John, he he was quite rich, so things went well for both of these women. But uh, he died in 1901 as well. And so she, Tenny, and her daughter, Zula, would go on to establish a school in Worcestershire, maybe? Did I say that wrong? Probably. Worcestershire. Okay. So she became an education reformer. I love it that you're looking
1: at me as your pronunciation guide in this life.
0: (laughs) You watch a lot more like English country homes things. So maybe you've heard this word more recently than me. Anyway, she became an education reformer. But her views really did kind of take a dark turn. And in 1927, just like a month before her death, the New York Times sent a reporter to come talk to her about stuff. And they're just kind of shooting the shit. She was, I guess the British were about to pass... A bill that would lower the voting age for women from 30 to 25, although for men it was 21.
1: Patriarchy, oh.
0: Yeah, but Victoria Woodhull was like, 25 is young enough. Oh. Women can't make decisions at the age of 21. I mean, it's really, it's a weird article. Um, And she also praises a Virginia eugenics law. Oh, no. That legalizes the sterilization of the, quote, feeble-minded.
1: Oh, God.
0: Uh, I genuinely do not know how to do trash cans for this one. It seems pretty clear that Victoria Woodhull was incredibly intelligent, super charismatic, but that she was kind of a con artist in her own right and just kind of kept, like, grifting upwards. um, she lived to be 89 years old, Wrote a tide of nonsense into a contrarian role challenging the establishment, only to get comfortable in England and be the establishment. So I think what I'm going to do is assign her an unknown number of popular trash cans <laughs> on par with her popular vote totals from the 1872 presidential run. Perfect. I was going to say, take a few off for being a
1: kidnap victim for the first husband, I but mean. no, that's a perfect amount of trash cans.
0: <laughs> just perfect Just amount. an unknown number. What a strange story. Days of yore. Yeah, like I didn't have... I just, I knew in 2016, it kept coming up like, oh, yes, Victoria Woodhull was the first woman ever nominated by a party. And like, okay, that's, yeah. now we just, know what that means. Right. I just assumed she was a, you know, very proper but bold, you know, woman of her day. And like, no, no, no. She was deeply into radical politics and stuff. I mean, just, I don't know how much was grift and how much was sincere belief in like social reform i i no idea
1: history it'll surprise you
0: <laughs> that was awesome thanks
1: you ready to draw for next week
0: yeah i mean i'm hoping a cat will come in here for the 900th time and i hope to have cut all those cat interruptions out
1: we started recording four hours ago friends i feel like
0: we started recording like four months God ago the lord
1: and... all right oh i go first no no, you go first next week. Do I go for, yeah, yeah, I do. You, go, yeah, you pick first.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Ooh, let me see who Yep. It's oh, it's it's one oh. I've been. Yep,
0: yep, 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 yep. He just yep. came up not too long ago. Not too long ago you at all him for a reason. Yep, yep. Oh, I'm so happy. This is of everybody in my cup. I think this is the one I'm most excited about.
1: Do you want to give a clue?
0: Um. Brexit, baby. I don't know. Yeah, that's eh. probably as good okay. as it gets.
1: All right. Ooh. You want to see? Yeah, I do. Okay, this is a heavy hitter. Oh. Oh, that is. shit, it is a heavy hitter. (laughs) Is that your clue? Uh, I I guess it is my clue. This is hitting. Hollywood legend who is a a heavy hitter. Often requested. A lot of people have requested this one. This is going to be good. Yes,
0: often requested, just not by her children.
1: Oh, I don't know how. Oh, this put, putting these two will be fun together. All right, stay tuned next week for your next fill of trash candy. Don't forget, you've got
0: extra free trash candy at yes at bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine, uh, and that um, Henry Ward Beecher story will be in the in the show notes on your podcast app.
1: Oh gosh, and we put up this week. More tutors, more side pieces. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of stuff there. If you need to fill a little bit extra of your time, yep. as always, many thanks. You folks are amazing. Until we catch you this week on Patreon or next Sunday. Keep it trashy. Oh, so trashy. But with very clean hands. Gardé de trash. Mais (laughs) ami. Big cheers, friends. See you next week. Thank you and goodbye. Bye.